Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, The Battle for Praise and Optimism, and it is part of the Good Fight Sermon Series. This message is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Hi, I'm Pastor Phil. How are y'all today? <laughs> Good to see you today. That we saved that seat for you, so <laughs> you've got to you got to fill that seat. I'm going to preach good today because Alexi's here. Um, we have uh, it's good to have Zach and Maggie here today. And uh, uh, let's see, We're, oh there you are! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear Megan! Happy birthday to you! <laughs> so excited to have y'all here today and celebrating your birthday and. Uh, Zach, uh, they're in the Coast Guard in uh, living in Key West, Florida, and um, had to get away from the heat, come enjoy life with us for a few days. <clears throat> okay, we're in a series called The Good Fight. The Good Fight's about how that we're surrounded by the political and social culture right now is very embattled. Uh, Americans and in the world, not just Americans, we finally got, because of the internet, we have all have a voice now. Isn't it great? We all have a voice. Before, I, I wrote a little song one time years ago uh, about the men in the center of my hometown. We had a town square. We didn't call it a rotary. It was round, but we called it a square. It was a town square. And the courthouse was right in the middle. And there was a bunch of old dudes who would sit there every day and they would whittle sticks and they would talk about the problems of the world. And I wrote a little song one time called Running the World from a Bench in the Park in the Middle of My Hometown. They solve the problems of our lives each day when the sun goes down. The leaders of the land don't know about these old guys sitting around. Running the world from a bench in the park in the middle of my hometown. So... uh, (laughs) We don't have the spit and whittle gang anymore. We've got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And we had all these ways of all having a voice. And we thought that was going to be great, right? When everybody had a voice. I mean, peace on earth. <laughs> Not so. Very controversial. And um, we're arguing, we're fighting. Some of them are good fights, some are not good fights, but we're fighting. Well, the Bible really directs us to the best fight. And not that we don't still have opinions about things of this world or political opinions. We still do. And, this, and we're not trying to take that away from anybody. We, if, if, we, if, if, if people that uh, are of faith don't speak up, that's, 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 uh, the culture loses if we stop speaking up. Well, we're not going to speak up so we don't want to cause any problems, so we're going to stop speaking up. Well, if we don't speak up, that's a big that's a big influence missing out of culture. And, and the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. The Bible says we're the light of the world. So if we're going to do it, if we're going to be involved in culture, which we, which we are called to be, I believe, we've got to learn how to do it. We've got to figure out how Christ wants us to carry ourselves 
in these controversial times. And what you may surprise you is the first century was very controversial too. And that's what surprised me when I went to study it. And, when, and I really went, dug into the Word. I was kind of expecting the, the, to hear one message than the one I heard. Uh, I, I, but when I got into it, I know the, the text I want to read to you today kind of ex, uh, illustrates this. It will when I tell you a little about Apostle Paul. Let's read it. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge, first of all, to, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, <clears throat> intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead, live peaceable and quiet lives, marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world just at the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith. Here's, we're going to get in the controversial part right here. I've been chosen as an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. In every place of worship... I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Now, Paul, in this statement, that one statement he makes about being called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he's letting you know that he has become an object of the opposition. He's become an object of the resistance. I've been chosen as a preacher, an apostle, to teach the Gentiles the message about faith. Here's, here's what they expected from a, a, a good Jewish religious leader. They expected him to respond to the Gentiles the way Jesus did, because Jesus had not yet gone to the cross and not yet opened the door for salvation to all peoples. So his message was to the Jews. And uh, not that he didn't have things to say to us in the Gospels as well, but his primary mission was to bring salvation to the Jews. So Jesus said when a woman came to him one day, uh, trying to get her daughter delivered from demonic influences. Uh, Jesus said to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And so the, the, the Jews go, yes, right on, that's right. And so they expected these, these apostles to say the same thing. It, it was controversial enough that they were trying to get them to accept Jesus. That was controversial enough that they were saying Jesus is the king and you guys missed it. That was controversial enough. But he was going farther than that and he was saying that, that this gospel is now open to non-Jews. And they disliked the Gentiles and they disliked them for, for good reasons. <clears throat> uh, for one thing, the Gentiles had, were dominating them politically and the Roman government had come in and were taking over the, most of the known world at that time. And so they were being dominated by Gentiles. Ju Gentiles were starting to overrun Jerusalem. And th they were in this really uncomfortable, uh, difficult alliance with the Roman government where the Roman government was basically saying, is we'll let you have your religious customs and your Jewish culture and your way of life. You just come under, you come under, you pay taxes to Rome and you honor Rome, and we'll, we'll, they sort of had this agreement worked out. And um, so the, the, it, it, it was one thing to say, uh, uh, 
accept Jesus as a Jew, but now accept the Gentiles. It was rough because of the, 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 the dominating influence of the Gentiles and also the corrupting influence of the Gentiles. Uh, the, the Gentiles brought all their pagan customs and all their immorality. and all the, It would be kind of like, like a Westerner uh, bringing their culture into an Islamic uh, culture run by Sharia law for us to bring in our, our uh, provocative dress and pornography and all of these things, and we bring it in even though, even though they, they have all kinds of immorality behind the scenes. They don't want it publicly. And so it's kind of the same thing. And Paul, Paul, and here's, here makes it even more uh, interesting, is that Paul started out as what we call a zealot. Paul was, Paul was like an, a terrorist, really. And he was going around killing Christians. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I don't deserve to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul agreed. And he, he, was, he was like a hero of the Jewish zealot movement. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was their biggest uh, ruling council. And... Uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it's talking about Paul. It says, Paul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager, eager to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, this guy wasn't just, he wasn't just sending out nasty tweets. I mean, <laughs> he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So when, so, so when Paul, then known as Saul, started preaching Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah, he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew exactly how rough it was going to be. And by the way, you don't try to make side-by-side -side comparisons of the American political parties and biblical groups. I mean, I've heard people kind of want to say the Pharisees are the Republicans and the Romans are the Democrats and the Greeks are the uh, uh, Libertarians. It's not that neat. It's just not that neat. You know, there, there are characteristics when, when, uh, when Republicans and right-wingers uh, uh, go too far, they become Pharisees, and when left-wingers go too far, they become Pharisees. And so so it's, not, it's not that neat that they all represent political parties or conservatism and liberalism and libertarianism. It's just not that neat. So don't try to do that. Uh, Paul is the paradigm, though, for showing us, here he's, he, he's in this controversial situation. He's the paradigm for showing us how to stay in praise and how to stay in optimism how to keep our peace about us, how to, how to keep joy, and how to stay happy in spite of the turmoil around us. It's really significant that Paul would say, he culminates this, this little talk today that I want to give and the, the, the text that I use with, I want people to pray with holy hands lifted up, free from anger and dissension. And Paul had a lot of reasons to be angry. In fact, here's what it was like to be Paul. I, I want to put this verse up on the screen. Because here's what it was like to be Paul. You think you had a rough week. <clears throat> Are they servants of Christ? Now, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians about these people that the Corinthians are saying, these are super apostles, and they're, they're way better than you, Paul. And so Paul's, Paul's kind of defending himself to the Corinthians. He said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a man, madman, but I've served him far better. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without numbers and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. By the way, they said 40 lashes would kill you, so they would stop at 39. Five times I was given 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, 
I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've often gone without food. I've suffered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, does anybody here feel, still feel abused? Because somebody uh, insulted you and called you a name. <laughs> There's no escape from this. Even, even Buddhism and Hinduism doesn't give you escape from the Dalai Lama even made a, a political statement the other day, and everybody's mad at the Dalai Lama now. That's bad <laughs> when you can't even you can't even be left, be left alone. And of course, he's in exile, and 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 of course, uh, uh, Gandhi was uh, went through all kinds of torment and was murdered. So, anytime you take a stand for anything, there's going to be persecution. Uh, Billy Graham said, "Living for Christ, walking in His way, will not be an easy path, but true faith and suffering frequently go hand in hand." He said. And we have to realize the real struggle, though, is not to win a political fight. But the real struggle is to fight a faith. The real struggle is to stay in praise and optimism. Joshua Jones wrote, writes, To keep us from prayer and spiritual power, the enemy uses weapons of mass distraction against us. <laughs> I, like that. I think we have some huge weapons of mass distraction taking us away from prayer and praise and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do it, though? How do we do what Paul is teaching us to do, to be people who lift up holy hands without anger and without dis dissension in our hearts? How do we do that? Well, like Paul, here's how we do it. We refuse to be permanently distracted by our own anger, by opposition, and by controversy. We just make a decision. I'm not going to be distracted. You're going to feel angry. That's normal. You're going to feel upset by things you're going to hear, by things you're going to see. By, and, and you might, I'm not even saying which side of the issues you're on. You might be on a different side of the issue than I am even. I might be on a different side than you. I'm not even saying that it doesn't matter. You're going to feel upset and you're going to feel disturbed sometimes. You're going to feel, you're going to feel your peace has been robbed from you. But, but, but Paul knew something. He knew, he knew how to get himself under control, and he knew how to keep the main thing the main thing, and he knew how to stay focused. I love the example in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, when, when, when he wanted to take John, uh, John Mark, or he did not want John Mark to go with he and Silas and Barnabas on a missionary journey. Uh, Silas and Bar uh, or Silas, or Barnabas rather, not Silas. Barnabas wanted to take this young man named John Mark, and John Mark had abandoned them in his earlier trip, and so Paul didn't want him to go. Evidently, Paul's a pretty black and white individual and pretty choleric. And kind of sometimes he could be a my way or the highway kind of a person. And he says, I don't want to, I don't, I'm, I don't want to go. And here's what the Bible says. They had such sharp, sharp dis disagreement that they parted company. Don't think that Christians always get along. Don't think that good Christians don't always get along because it's not true. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But cho Paul chose Silas and left. Now, I, I want you to stop right there for a second. I know you've already seen the rest of it, but kind of pretend you don't see it. What happens to us when we have sharp disagreement with other people? Why? It takes us two weeks to recover. We've got to stay out of church for a month. 
We, we, we've got to, we've got to, you know, we've got to have a coloring book or something, you know? <laughs> but I, I, I love, I love these guys because I love this. I, I call it emotional maturity. I don't know really if that's the right way to put it. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay. The other brothers in the church didn't get all crazy. Oh, they're having an argument. They don't love Jesus anymore. They don't, they're not agreeing. They, they're, they're, not, they're not good Christians. No, the rest of the church acted like this was normal. Okay, you don't agree. That, that's just normal. Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be better if we just acted like disagreement was normal? And we didn't lose our minds over it? Because isn't there something more important going on than this thing that we're fighting about? That's, that's what they knew. Okay, there's something more important than the drama between Paul and Barnabas. There's something, there's bigger fish to fry. God's about doing something that's bigger than the drama between these two. We're not going to try to fix the problem between John, Mark, and Paul. Oh, wouldn't the church, wouldn't we be so much better off if we just didn't try to fix everything? If we just didn't try to make everybody get along? Sometimes, sometimes, you know, I just need to not talk to you for a while. It's just okay. Sometimes you just don't need to talk to me for a while. It's, it's okay. I, we can still go love Jesus. And so the church says, uh, nah, they're not getting along. And then it says, Paul, he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. I just think that's really cool. Says, oh, they didn't get along, so let's, let's go do something. And, and what's really cool is later in, uh, I, forget, I think it's in Philippians, where Paul says, uh, he writes a letter to Barnabas, I believe. Was it Barnabas he wrote the letter to, Dad? And he says, send John Mark to me. He's profitable for me in the gospel. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you like to live with people who know how to have a good fight once in a while? And not lose their whole relationship over it? And not lose their minds because they disagreed about something? That would just be great. So if you feel the need, you know, to have long-term therapy over every conflict you've been involved in, by all means, go get your therapy. By all means. I know that I'm not, I can't be the judge of how you get traumatized or what traumatizes you or what I might say. I've said the most innocent things from the pulpit that just traumatized people, and they had to go into therapy for months because of something I said, and I was just, I didn't even mean it. You know, I didn't even mean it the way they took it, and, and so, sometimes I did, I mean it, the way they took it. <laughs> That's true. You know, boy, you know, I had, I was up here one time. This is back after Trump got elected, and, and I was just being a goofball, and I was saying, I was talking about how God was blessing this church, and I, and I was just like riffing on Trump a little bit. I said, uh, we're winning so much, we're getting tired of winning, you know. And that triggered a woman, man. She, she, she sent, wrote me a long text and came to my office the next day, and she said, you must not legitimize Donald Trump. You must not say anything that legitimizes him. So you never know what's going to traumatize some folks. And I, and I know I'm being goofy right now, and I'm being silly, I really, really mean that. I really mean that. You, you've had experiences in your past that, that you feel... It, it's, there's no standard for what makes people feel traum, traumatized. 
I know people have gone through terrible abuse, unbelievable abuse, like his children, just like even serious sexual abuse. You can want them to be traumatized, but they're just not. They're just, they're just, you know, they've forgiven. They, they have a happy life. Things are going well. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't want to be insensitive. And it's very important to me. It's very important for you to know that I understand that you've had trauma and you've had abuse and how devastating that can be for your life. And if that's how you feel, I validate your feelings. I lean into that. And you come and get help. We'll be here to help you. We will pray for you. Because I have stuff like that in my life. I have stuff that you think I should get over that I can't get over. I understand that. I totally understand it. But I do think today, we're, if we're not careful, we almost feel like people are obligated to be devastated, crippled, traumatized by what happens to them. And it's not a law that you have to be traumatized by, by, being, by, by an offense or a neglect or even an abuse, if you don't feel, if you, if you are able to appropriate the grace of God and get up and go on, do it. You're not obligated to any group or any person to be a mess for the next 20 years. Somebody, somebody say amen to that word? I love Acts 540. It says, they call the apostles in. <laughs> I, it's not going to be on the screen, but it's, you can look it up, and I believe it's in your, your app notes. They called the apostles in, beat them, told them not to speak in the name of Jesus again. Then they let them go free. Verse 41, the apostles left the meeting full of joy. <laughs> because they were given the honor of suffering disgrace for Jesus. Sometimes how traumatized you are is because it has to do with the story you tell yourself. Sometimes. I, I, I don't, don't, don't send me any angry email. You were so insensitive, Pastor. I've been traumatized. No, I told you. Did I make that clear? I will, I will, I will, I will give you counsel, and I will, I will refer you to others because we, we know that everything can't just be, get over everything. It, it, we're very unique and it's very interesting and very complex about this thing of suffering and trauma and abuse. It, it, and, and it's a real issue. It's a real issue in people's lives. But I just want you to know that there is a, there's a possibility that we can... What, what I'm trying to say is, let's go for joy. That's what I'm trying to say today. If you want to know what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say let's strain for joy, not for victimhood. That's what I'm saying. That let's strain for joy. Let's strain for peace. Let's, let, let's strain for the place where we're lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And people come into our church and they just feel the presence of God. And then they find out that we don't agree on a bunch of stuff. And they're going, wow, there must be something more important than politics around here. And because there is, and it's the one who died on the cross and rose again, and, it's gonna, and, and the only one is going to save the world. Like Paul, here's, I'm telling you how we do it, how we stay in praise and optimism. Like Paul, we pray for everybody, not just about them. I know you pray about me, <laughs> but I want you to pray for me. 
I know you pray about the president, but I want you to pray for him. I pray for, I, I prayed for President Obama. I pray for President Trump. I pray for President Trump every day. You know, with some politicians, you, you can't believe anything they say. And with President Trump, you can't believe he said it. <laughs> so he needs our prayer. He is our president. God, in God's wisdom, he has ordained that Donald Trump would be our president. And God's people are supposed to be praying for him, lifting him up in prayer every day. And I, I personally, I don't, I don't mind you going on social media and you can criticize something he said, you can criticize his policies, that's fine. But don't revile the man. That is not godly. It is not what Christians do. We do not revile people. We may criticize their policies. We may criticize their decisions. We may criticize things they say and do. But we do not revile them. And but there's a whole teaching on that. I'm not going to go into it right now, but we need to pray. See, and there's a very interesting thing in the first century. The Romans deified the Roman Empire and its emperor. The Jews defied the Roman Empire and the emperor. The Jews refused to pray for the emperor. The Jews refused to include the blessing of Rome in their prayer. The Christians prayed for the emperor. Paul, you see it all over his writings. Pray for the king. Pray for those in authority. He prayed for, they prayed for the Jewish authorities too. Very interesting thing, in 70 AD, probably 10 years or so after Paul wrote these words, the emperor uh, was, at that time was Titus, and he swept into Jerusalem. And, and, and just as Jesus had predicted, Jesus had predicted that the temple would not stand and not, not one stone would be left on another. And he, he swept into to, uh, Jerusalem, and he destroyed the temple and, and slaughtered a lot of Jews. Very interesting, and I'm not saying that this is a magic formula for avoiding persecution. He did not touch the Christians. I'm just saying, maybe there's a correlation that they prayed for him. Listen, Paul prayed for leaders that fed Christians to lions. He prayed for leaders that covered Christians with tar and lit them as torches for illuminating their parties, who behaved in the most vile and sexual and immoral ways and would eventually remove his head. Paul didn't just teach that it's best for them that we pray for them. He taught it's best for us that we pray for them. It fixes something in our spirit, in our soul. Paul was obviously including the Pharisees and the Jewish authorities. Paul found it much easier to be content. And here's this really important, I think. And you can judge whether it's important to you. Paul found it much easier to be content in the world because he measured the success of government by how much or how little they interfered with him loving and serving God. That's how he measured government. Part of the reason that we're so unhappy today, because he said, chapter 2, verse 2, he said that we can live peaceable and quiet lives, marked by godliness and dignity. Uh, compare 2 Timothy 2, 2 with everything we expect from government. One of the reasons... One of the ways that Paul found peace is 
he didn't expect as much from government as we do in the 21st century. What has made Christianity great through the centuries is we've taken as much personal responsibility for suffering around us as possible. And we've moved to a place in the 21st century where we, I mean, we, we expect government to protect us from being offended even, as I was talking about a while ago. They're supposed to protect us from being offended. In fact, in, in, uh, in the, they sent a bulletin out, in, in, this is in, in uh, Europe, in, in England. In England, uh, one of the police jurisdictions recently sent a bulletin about, please call us if you hear offensive speech. So if you are offended by something people say to you, call the police. Man, we would keep them really busy around here, wouldn't we? We call the police every time. So, so I, we've so expanded what would make us content with government. But in, the, in, in, 20, in first century Christianity, they took as much personal responsibility for suffering around as possible. In fact, at the height of the bubonic plague or the black plague, in Rome, between 251 A.D. and about 262 A.D., 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome from the bubonic plague. It was the Christians who did not only bury their own, but they buried the pagans. They, they um, also supplied food for 1,500 poor people a day. In Antioch and in Syria, the number of destitute persons being fed by the church reached 3,000 that the Christians and the church were feeding during the Black Plague. During, during the plague in Alexandria, whenever everybody else fled, the early Christians, they risked their lives by ministering to those who were dying. They offered food and they offered water. Their care was so extensive that there was an emperor named Julian who tried to copy the church's welfare system, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't keep up with what the Christians were doing because they, they were, he was trying to motivate people by duty, and the Christians weren't motivated by duty. They were motivated by love. So Paul's thing was, I'm really happy with my government if they just leave me alone and let me serve God. Leave me alone enough to serve God. Paul's ultimate social action, see, was personal, not national. That's another reason he was happy. His ultimate social action was not to fix the culture and the world, even though we, sh we should be instruments of fixing the culture sometimes. If you read verse 3 and 4, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. But Paul didn't say he wants everyone to be uh, some sort of political betterment. He, his, he, had his, he had his priorities lined up. Do, do you want to make the most difference in the world, by the way? Go find one of those everyones and try to turn them into Christ-loving, Bible-reading, God-loving, community-serving Christians. You might not change the world, but you'll actually make a difference in someone's life, and you'll get your praise back. You'll get your joy back. Because you can do that. The best level of action is at the personal level. I'm not suggesting you not take group action or you not write. Your, go ahead, call your congressman, call your senator. Go ahead, go ahead, 
try to influence policies. There's some policies that need to be influenced and need to be skewed in a way that gives more religious freedom or, 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 or removes victimhood from people, takes care of people, takes care of the poor. So, you know, thank God for, for, social, for big social ideas and, and, and big social actions that government agencies can do. That, I'm not against that in any sort of way. But if you really want to be happy, do the things personally that you wish the government would do globally or, or nationally or regionally. Do them personally. You begin to care about someone in the social class that you think the government should take care of. You go find one of those people and bring them to your house. I, I, you weren't as loud a man on that as you were about the victimhood thing. Finally, like Paul, we know the path to peace with God will give us peace with the maximum possible number of humans. First Timothy 1.8, in every place, and I've been saying this verse all morning, in every place of worship I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger. So in this summary of the best possible civility, Paul's journey takes us to a, of all places, a public worship service. Of all places, he takes us to church, doesn't he? And he's saying in these lives we lead where there's opposition and there's turmoil and there's misunderstanding, we're admonished to follow one another to this place where we together lift holy hands, worship God, and, and, we, and we escape the world for a little bit. You know, uh, false, it's not about agreeing with everybody. False prophets are the ones who agree with everybody. So Paul is saying, in, in this world where you have a lot of disagreement... Make your place to the place of worship on, on the weekend. And there will be a cleansing from the filthy, ugly spirit that you have picked up during the week. And a reset for peace in your life. You know, Christy, probably more than any of us on this stage every week, I love what she does. She invites us from a world of care into the world of the Spirit of God. The hymn says, sweet hour of prayer, that sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me to my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. So, so this weekly check-in that you're doing right now is not, just so, just not so we can be duplicitous people who are one thing on Sunday and something else tomorrow on Twitter. No, that, that's not it. But it's so, it's so that we can check our souls to see if we're getting off track, embroiled in the wrong controversies. And so tomorrow we can be better for the world. And tomorrow we can lean in more where we need to lean in, lean back where we need to lean back. Tomorrow we can have a better perspective so we can be better for the world that is so separated from the Lord. Let me give you these quotes. They're my quotes, and I hope they're helpful to you. The peaceful path for our lives during controversial times will be not compromise our integrity, not to, it should say, not to compromise our integrity, ignore holiness, fracture Christian community, diminish God's supremacy, per supremacy, or leave us disgruntled and bitter. The peaceful path for our lives during controversial times is to stand together before God in a posture of submission, adoration, and optimism. As Christians, we are cheating society when we never speak out on issues but who we speak for 
is infinitely more significant than what we speak about. 2 Corinthians 5.20, for we are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. This last Thursday night, we were talking. We have, uh, I host an uh, internet uh, chat group, a uh, uh, video chat group. It's a community group. It's a small group. And we, it's a message review group. We, we review the message that's been preached on Sunday and have really been enjoying this experience. And there are several of you who are part of that group. And we all get in front of our, our computers and phones and we talk to each other about what we just preached about here on Sunday. And one of our, our ladies, and, and I, I, wanna, I want you to understand that when you share things with me, uh, I want you to know that my first priority is to hear you and to care about you and pray for you, not to, not to, not to use what you say as a sermon illustration. <laughs> I, so I don't want to, I, I always hesitate to share some things because I don't want you to feel like, well, I'm going to tell the pastor this and, you know, to give him a sermon illustration. No, that, that's not. In fact, I, always, I try to always ask permission. So I ask this lady's permission if I could share this illustration because she talked about her sister. And I, I had asked her when she began to tell me about her sister and her sister's views, I, I, I don't know why it came to me to ask her, uh, was she abused? Has she been abused? And sure enough, she's been abused. So where she's coming from is a place of abuse and pain. So you need to know that, and it'll make sense. I'm going to read to you what, uh, what this lady wrote to me. Thank you for the advice regarding my sister. During Life Group this week, I've been struggling for a year now with how to approach and handle her move away from Christianity to Wicca. She and I don't agree on social, economical issues and frankly, I avoid discussing Christianity because her reasons for moving away from it is because she believes strongly in social issues that she says Christians are against. I want to maintain a relationship with my sister so I don't argue the issues. You gave me the best advice. Discuss her faith with her. Make the conversation about Jesus, not the issues. It was like a light bulb came on my head when you said that I'm not going to win an argument with her on abortion or women's rights or immigration but I don't need to I can talk about the person of Jesus I specifically said talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ did Jesus rise from the dead have that conversation with her I can talk about the person of Jesus that he loves all people that his followers were outcasts that he came to heal the sick give sight to the blind and set the captives free I'm excited even writing this at the possibility of a new conversation with my sister I also plan to lean into her feelings and be empathetic to her pain. This was excellent advice that I will use with many people. She went on to say, Megan Pear also gave me a great idea too. I plan to find a thinker that has wisdom on an issue and send to my sister to listen to and ask what she thinks about it. This is a good idea because my sister does not want to hear from me on any controversial topic. She will shut me out of her life rather than have what she deems to be a confrontation but maybe she'll respond to hearing from someone else. Maybe you have people like that in your life that you care about, that you love, but the issues of the day have driven a wedge between you and them. I believe the Lord wants us to put Jesus in that wedge, the risen Christ into that wedge because you're not going to be saved 
because you have the right political and social views. You are going to be saved for one reason alone, and that is because you have surrendered your life to the risen Lord, and you have put your faith in the doctrine that says Jesus died on the cross and was raised on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercessions for his people. That's the only thing that's going to save you. And only God has an eternal plan for the planet. All this political wrangling is not even, not even pretending that they can solve the eternal issue. And only God has done that. So we must give the world Jesus. Lord Jesus, I commit this congregation to you. And I pray for that person who's sitting there today who feels separated from your love, separated from the the presence of Jesus. I pray that they'll walk forward right now and pray with one of these prayer partners and say, I want to become a friend, a follower, a member of the family of God. And I pray for the people in this room, that person who doesn't have inner peace. They've watched YouTube videos and they've been on Twitter and they've been on Facebook and they've lost their peace and they've lost their joy. I pray they'll get their joy back today get their peace back today and they'll right now lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting in Jesus name amen let's move into the response time come take communion come and be prayed for whatever's going on in your life we're here to pray for you